Insight, and welcome to Fast Break Breakfast NBA Podcast. My name is Keith, here alone for a solo interview episode. Not sure when the next full episode is coming out. Uh, TBD. We'll see. John is traveling for a couple weeks. We might have him call in. But anyway, uh, stay up to date by just make sure you're subscribing to the podcast and following me on Twitter at Fast Break Break so you don't miss anything. Uh, we've had some funny amount of trades. Uh, there's been like four Woj bombs or ShamWows today, and they've all been hilarious. Names that Chuck has certainly never heard of. Uh, many people have never heard of. Uh, but things are still happening. The Grizzlies are still making moves. Drill Martin, another Grizzlies draft pick, who made it three years on the Grizzlies, which puts him in very elite company of all-time Grizzlies. Not many Grizzlies ever make it to their third, let alone fourth years. It's like O.J. Mayo, Mike Conley, Battier, Darrell Arthur. I think Sam Young made it to his third year. So again, uh, Jarrell Martin, one of the only draft picks in the last 10 years for the Grizzlies to actually make it to his third year. Does not make it to a fourth. Traded for Dakari Johnson. Anyway, Today's episode, I'm mainly talking about the Nuggets with my buddy Adam Mares, and then talking a little about salary cap, a little Lakers, a little Hawks and whatever with Jeff Siegel. So stick around for all that. If you want to get more John and Chuck while they're out, you can get that at patreon.com slash fastbreakbreakfast. For $1 a month, you get access to the exclusive bonus content. For $3 a month, you can join the Slack chat where they are very active, and I'm on there. We're talking about basketball and movies and whatever else, off-season things around the clock, just counting down the days till training camps to open. It's not that far away. Uh, again, it's a year-round sport. So if you want to support us and get more of our content, patreon.com slash fastbreakbreakfast. One more time, patreon.com slash fastbreakbreakfast. My guest today is the site manager for Denver Stiffs, the host of Locked On Nuggets, an absolute monster at the blackjack table, and one of the few NBA bloggers who has an NBA player's body, sort of, frame. <laughs> <laughs> and he's a return guest, Adam Mares. How are you, Adam? Boris Diaw's body, maybe. He <laughs> <laughs> might be accurate there. You have, you're taller than me. That's all I'm saying. Taller than me. There you go. Get my uh, get my go. respect as a writer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and assume the best breakfast you had in Vegas was uh, meeting up as part of the fast break breakfast fast breakfast meetup at Breakfast and Grill. But if not, was there another <clears throat> breakfast that maybe you need to regale our listeners with? I cooked breakfast for the, for the the house. You know, we, we had a house with a bunch of writers. I cooked breakfast one day. I was very proud of myself for that. It took like two hours. Right. That's the house that is not, it shall not be called the SB Nation house. It shall not, unfortunately, sadly. <laughs> we need yeah, a so good name for it, though. We need a good name for that house every year. What did you, what did you fix them? Uh, eggs and bacon with salsa. It was a very, it was a very basic breakfast. Um, but it was good. That thick cut bacon, I got it from uh, from this nice Mexican market down the street. It was great. <laughs> All right. I, I got to tell people, too. I was just thinking of it. Uh, I'm going to try to stop mentioning Vegas on this show. However, <laughs> uh, Adam 
many uh, having a good time deep into the night playing blackjack at the Golden Corral orders a gin and tonic, but forget forgets what it's called. You were you, <laughs> you were ordering. You're like, I want I want a tonic. No, that's not right. You're like, I want I want tonic. No, there's something else. Uh, and then it was yeah, it was like, are you talking about a gin and tonic? Yes, I want that. So to, that was a, to be fair, I was on fire on the blackjack table. So you were you were you were on fire giving away your money to other players. <laughs> and it's not a, it's not poker. You were just handing over stacks of chips like here, buddy, you go. Uh, I don't remember that, but I do. <laughs> but but it makes sense, given how how little I returned home with. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, so, Adam, you cover the Nuggets. The Nuggets have been my side piece team for like two years now. Yeah. But my enthusiasm is waning. Maybe it's just that I've been in a relationship for two years. The spark isn't there anymore. <laughs> but uh, I'm not very optimistic about the Nuggets this year, where I was very optimistic about them last year. Uh, I don't know. New shines worn off. I think the New Jerseys are very boring. But can, can you can you restore any of my previous excitement? In I can't. The nuggets? I think I can because I'm actually. And you know, there's two types of fans. There's the cynical fan, and then there's the like overly optimistic fan. I, I'm definitely the cynical type. I think it's always going to work out poorly. Um, but I'm weirdly optimistic about this Nuggets team. I'm surprised you're not. I think. Last year's team was much better than their record showed. They just had the worst injury luck. I mean, Millsap misses 44 games. As soon as he returned, Gary Harris missed the rest of the season. So they only played like 14 games with, with their starting five healthy. So I'm, and they won 46 anyway. So I'm, I'm really optimistic just because all of those main core pieces are coming back. Isaiah Thomas, not one of my favorite basketball players, but I think if, if he's even moderately healthy, he'll be better than Emmanuel Moutier, which is all he needs to be. So I'm I'm actually pretty optimistic about this team. I think I think they're going to be really good. So you think they're just going to put together those lineups that were good last year and assuming they stay healthy, they'll be able to outscore most of their opponents, win enough games to, you know, right. 50 games get into, get into the playoffs cuz they have a tiny you guys have a tiny team. Well, that's the funny thing is is that's Nuggets basketball really. Like every Nuggets team that's been successful has kind of punted on defense to some extent and just been great offensively. I think one of the storylines of this offseason for me is that the Nuggets had some really good options last year, some good lineups that they went to in small doses, but they just never went to a lot, I think in part because Malone really wanted better defensive lineups and and even though it was an overall worst thing to do to try to, to stack defensive lineups out there. Um, you know, it was kind of a safety blanket this year. When I look at the roster, I think there's just lots of great options. I don't think, I, I don't think there's going to be a lot of bad options, you know, like overall for the nuggets to throw out there. Uh, they'll be bad defensively. I think they'll be as bad as they were last year. I don't think they'll be worse, but their offensive combinations are just going to be great. They were when the nuggets offense was rolling and, and it, a lot of times it would get rolling because of injuries to certain players, you know, would force them just to go all offense. When they did that, they were incredible. They, the month of February, I think they went like seven and two with only two losses going to the Rockets. Um, so I, I think next year they're just going to be an incredible offensive team. There's not a lot of bad options to hinder them. And, and sure, their defense will probably be some ranked somewhere in the 20s, maybe even mid to late 20s. But offensively, I think they're going to be a top three team. And especially at mile high altitude, that's a good recipe. So when you say there's not a lot of bad options, like what are, what are these combinations you're super excited about when, say, 
I don't know, like when Will Barton is not playing the three or when Gary yeah. Harris is on the bench, like who's filling in these backup, mm-hmm. these two, three minutes? I think the small forward position is obviously the 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 issue for the Nuggets. I th- the guard rotation and the forward rotation, I think, is really solid. The forward, ro- you know, the, the front court rotation, you have Nikola Jokic, Paul Millsap, and Mason Plumley, who I think are an above average, like, first three guys in your front court by, fall- by, a, by a long shot. Uh, even Trey Lyles gives them an, a unique look as a stretch for your backcourt. Same thing. Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, Isaiah Thomas, Will Barton. That's a great four four man backcourt rotation. The small forward is really the issue. I like Juancho Hernan Gomez. I mean, he's last year it was a throwaway year because he got mono. And again, Nuggets, I think, were very unfortunate in a lot of ways. But Juancho is kind of a perfect player to play alongside Nikola Jokic because he doesn't go out of his way, you know, to dom- he, he can knock down shots, he offensive rebounds, he's a great cutter. Um, and then he just doesn't like disrupt. He doesn't do the bad stuff. He's not a negative. He's just, he, he does his job. So again, defensively, sure. They're going to struggle with that. And, and some of the bigger, bigger players, I think are going to be able to punish them in the post, but I think Denver's going to be so dynamic offensively. There's going to be a lot of trading twos for threes. And, and, I just think that's a recipe that that has worked for Denver for the last two years, and it's going to work even more just because it's going to be for 48 minutes. I'll be honest. I thought Hernan Gomez being out with mono was just an NBA injury report joke. (laughs) I didn't didn't know that was the actual reason he missed so many games. He's so devilishly (laughs) handsome, though. You had to have believed it. Sure. Sure. Uh, so they're going to play small. They're going to play up-tempo. And I guess a big part of the optimism that you have and some other Nuggets people have is is bringing in Isaiah Thomas. Isaiah Thomas, who has a huge hip issue. I just read whatever this... I think it was a Woj article yeah. where he's where he says something to the effect of like, I'm gonna have a hip, but I'm gonna prove right. people wrong. <laughs> like that's not that's not a great thing to say. But so if Isaiah Thomas regains most of his form if he if he ends up being what we saw you know on the kings even just like the 20 point or the suns like the 20 points per game type of guy who who can do that or maybe he can put up big numbers off the bench if he ends up regaining most of his form what does that mean for the rotation like is 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 gary harris going to position up like at the 3 and jamal murray and oh, like at the 2 i mean cuz gary harris is like he's short <laughs> and again, like the team is so tiny. Uh, so yeah. like, will Isaiah Thomas, if he's good, will he play alongside Jamal Murray and Gary Harris? Like, does Will Barton get squeezed out there? Like, what are they going to do if he ends up actually like best case scenario? He ends up, he ends up playing well. I, I don't have the number in front of me, but I think Dallas last year had one of the five best five man lineups in the NBA. And it was a three guard lineup with like JJ Berea, Dennis Smith Jr. at the three Yogi Ferrell, at the, you know, so they had three guys, six, five or under. And in the regular season, I think you can get away with these minutes in small doses. What I, what I think is going to happen is the Nuggets starting lineup, I think is going to be one of the best in the NBA it was last year. I think it was the 10th best five man lineup in the, in the NBA last year. It's going to be, I think better even this year. But the bench just has to, you know, there's a lot of role players on there. Trey Lyles is a very good, just kind of like spot up, spot up guy. And then if you get a mismatch, go to him, but he can't really create offense for you. Mason Plumlee, I think is a good pick and roll player, DHO player, but you don't want him to be the main option. Isaiah Thomas gets to be the main option with the second unit. And then as far as closing, the big question I think you, you have for the lineup is how do you close? Because Isaiah Thomas is one of the great fourth quarter closers. But Jamal Murray and Gary Harris have earned those backcourt minutes, and they're they're both long-term commitments that, that Denver has. Denver, Denver is invested in them getting those reps and getting that experience. So 
I think Isaiah Thomas just finishes on the bench. There might be some games where they try to get really creative and go with, um, you know, three, six, four or under guys out on the court. But I don't think so. I think Will Barton will close at small forward. Jamal Murray and Gary Harris will mostly close at the one and the two. And maybe if Isaiah Thomas really has it rolling, there'll be nights where where he closes ahead of one of those guys. But I, I think the the sort of default option will be to close games with the starting five. That's definitely going to be the thing to watch. That's, that's something that I'm most interested in is kind of hoping Isaiah Thomas is pretty good again. And then I would like to see something like the Mavs did. Although, to, to be fair, you guys don't have J.J. Barea, who rules, and, uh, <laughs> and Rick Carlisle, uh, you know, yeah. d- d- doing things. By the way, J.J. Barea is going to throw so many alley-oops to DeAndre Jordan. It's going to be crazy. I want to say last year, Berea had some insane insist, assist percentage. He was averaging like seven assists per game, and he was throwing lobs to Maxi Kleber. I mean, it's, it's going to be awesome anyway. But the Nuggets, <laughs> uh, looking at um, – sorry, I got so excited. Can, well, about, I wanna, well, I want to interject there for just one quick yeah, second. Yeah. Nikola Jokic has, never, has only played with a real point guard one time in Jameer Nelson. He shot like 68% from the field that year. He's played with, with a, a rookie in Emmanuel Moutier, then a second-year player in Emmanuel Moutier was actually worse somehow. Jamal Murray, who I think is a really good player, but just doesn't really – is still learning how to run an NBA pick-and-roll. So for me, Isaiah Thomas knows how to run the pick-and-roll. I think, I, I think Nikola Jokic is going to really benefit from, from having a, a traditional point guard again. That's funny. I don't, I don't. I don't think of Isaiah Thomas as a traditional point guard, but I guess he is. Yeah. I mean, he he, kn- he can he can throw the pass in a pick and roll, which is yeah. again. <laughs> there was just so many times last year where Jokic would be like, "Man, I'm wide open. What are you guys doing?" Yeah. All right. So one thing that's really bugging me about this Nuggets off season is the Nuggets had luxury tax issues because they they retained Will Barton. They paid him. They gave the massive max extension or near max, whatever it was, uh, to to Nikola Jokic. And in doing so, they had to unload some salary. So they salary dumped Wilson Chandler, who's played a lot of minutes for the Nuggets for the last few years and is a good player. They just salary dumped him for a, a second round pick. And then they used a first round pick, next year's first round pick, uh, just to dump Fareed and Arthur. This is just a big way to save the Nuggets and their yeah. ownership lots and lots of money. Yet, I keep seeing Nuggets writers and other NBA writers praise these moves as somehow good for the Nuggets when in, to me they're just giving you know a Walton Walmart billionaire more <laughs> money back this should not be praised under any scenario how is this getting a positive spin I think it's so there's a little bit of double dipping that goes on I think a lot of times with this stuff the Fareed deal when it was signed was ridiculed by everyone myself included I think the Wilson Chandler deal same thing and Darrell Arthur, even he signed the deal and then had surgery on his knee like a week later. It was like, wait, did you guys not know about this? What's, <laughs> going, what's going on? So those things received a ton of criticism. I think with the deals, I you knew those deals were coming. Like you just knew it was going to happen, and they were significantly less than I expected them to be. So for me, the the payment, the the Nuggets giving out what I think will end up being like the twenty fifth pick, yeah, uh, or eventually will be a later a later first round pick. You know, I think so for me, it was just that the cost was less than I feared. Um, but at the same time, I think everybody kind of acknowledges that, yeah, this sucks. The owner is not willing to go into the tax even for this year. This is all. But it, but it's just not surprising. And at a certain point, rail, railing against the same kind of talking points gets a bit stale. So I think everybody's analysis overall is, yeah, this is what happens when you have a cheap owner. But um, but nonetheless, it was uh, it didn't cost as much as we feared. 
Yeah, that's good. So it's just, it's an abusive relationship you guys are in. <laughs> and you're saying it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. This is, this is the Nuggets motto, yeah. quite frankly. Not as bad as you think. Well, I mean, I, I understand. I, I'm, I'm throwing a parade about the Grizzlies trading an unprotected future second round pick <laughs> and, a, and a guy we acquired with another first round pick in a trade for Garrett Temple. And I'm, yeah. like, we're, I'm throwing a parade. Like, this is amazing. Like, oh, what a great job. This, you, have, this is a, you have to celebrate the margins when your team's like Denver. Yeah. Memphis, Th- there's yeah. a, I mean, there, there's an article on Denver Stiffs right now that praises the salary dump as the Nuggets getting serious about winning. <laughs> so, so I again, you guys, you guys are selling me the, this shouldn't it should never be discussed in a positive manner. That's all I'm saying. You're giving money back to billionaires. You shouldn't be that excited. All right. Finally, I guess another um, reason for some optimism is you guys drafted Michael Porter Jr., who was projected all year to be a much higher draft pick. Obviously, he just had back surgery again, so it's not looking great. This is a pick for the future. Um. Do you know about when the Nuggets thought they might end up drafting Michael Porter Jr.? Yeah, it was about 24 hours before they did. And I'm not joking about that. The report came out publicly about two hours before. But they called Michael Porter Jr. the morning of the draft for the first time and just said, hey, we didn't we didn't <laughs> call you because we didn't expect this. But um, we just want to talk and, and kind of I mean, that was the extent of their vet process, just kind of a. You know, I'm sure they did scouting and different things on him before, but that was the first time they'd contact him and, and kind of planted that seed. So um, I don't think he was on their radar at all. I think it was one of those things that as, as the rumor started to come out, they just looked at each other and said, is this a risk we're willing to take? And, and, and they were. And I happen to agree with it. I think it is a risk. I know the second surgery, you know, I hear they knew about that. I, I found out about it maybe two minutes after the draft took place that he probably needed a second surgery. So I think it was an open secret, you know, behind the scenes. Um, But again, it was just one of those things where if it hits Denver becomes, in my opinion, and he becomes the player people expect that Denver becomes a contender. If he misses, they don't. But when you're the Denver nuggets, you have to take crazy gambles. Otherwise you'll just always be a mediocre team. What is the gamble? Or or what's the, what's the calculus when you're looking at that pick? What percent do you think it's worth, like, if there's a 50% chance this guy becomes the player we think he is in a year, like, right. is that is that worth the 14th pick, or is it a lower number? Um, I, I think it could be pretty low. Jonathan Gavoni did this thing where he looked at the last 20 number 14 picks in the draft, and, like, I don't, the, the biggest name on that list was nobody. I mean, there's, there, almost nobody gets drafted at 14 that's a worthwhile player. M- your bet is you get a rotation piece. But Denver ha- is kind of stocked up on those types and the, the Wancho Hernan Gomez types that, oh, yeah, this guy could be good for 10 minutes a game. Um, so I, don't, I think they were in position to take on this risk, maybe more so than most teams, because if he does flame out, you know, it wasn't I don't think it's as big of a deal as it was for other other teams. But again, if he hits, what does it take to build a championship contender in, De- in the city of Denver? You're not going to get big name free agents most of the time. You're not going to get. Uh, you're not going to be able to bottom out like Philadelphia and be bad and, and get all these top picks. So you have to swing for the fence. And if the calculus was this has a 5% chance of hitting, I think Denver does it because a 5% chance of building a, a, a really, really talented young core, that's the best bet you get in Denver. That is pretty good. But that that whole we, we have enough players, we don't need a 14th pick, that's, that feels like that abusive relationship again. 
Or like, I, 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 we don't need I, our 2019 first-round pick. We have our <laughs> roster so full. We don't even need a first-round pick, guys. Well, well, I'll say this. Denver, if you look at their roster, is built off of late picks and second-rounders. I, I trust them more than most teams to be able to find value there. Um, so, again, I'm fine with it. You have to get so lucky, and I'm glad that Denver didn't decide to say – we'll just play. We'll take Zaire Smith. And you know what? Maybe he becomes a good backup shooting guard. I, I Dem- Denver's eyes, I think are a little bit wider than that, are a little bit bigger than that. And, and we'll see if it pans out by the way, I will say this. Michael Porter Jr.'s back is not the only concerning part of his game. So <laughs> that, that's what makes this whole thing funny is it's not like, oh, his back is healthy. He's a surefire blue chipper. There's still some other big question mark, shot selection, personality, all these other things. But, uh, you know what? I'm here for the experience. It'll be fun. That sounds good. Uh, all right, last thing: are you are you taller than Paul Millsap? No, Millsap's actually <laughs> Millsap's an impressive impressive specimen, man. He's okay, a legitimate so he, six eight, six nine, and then the guy just like looks like he could pick me off the ground and and and, and heave me twenty feet. So well, he, I, I know, I know you can't beat him up. <laughs> I'm just saying if you if you type in Paul Millsap real height, there's there's a lot of results. It says uh, like. You, you want six, to know? Six, you might know this because you're a tall fellow as well. There's a secret unspoken tall person thing where when another tall person walks up, you know, within like close, you stand up to kind of see who's taller. Yeah. And, and like so, like NBA players are always hunched over and they always look small. And then when I'll walk up, they'll all kind of like stand up, and be like, "Nope, I'm I'm taller, bro." Yeah, yeah. That, that I actually wanted to know if you if you'd ever like <laughs> saddled up next to Millsap and done like the full full straightening of the back to be like, nope. I, I do I do that with all of them. Every single player that comes through, I'm always because I want it because it's the same thing. You get such mixed reports about people's actual height. I want to know who's really. I'm six five. I want to know who's really six five and who's like six two. That's pretty good. Who's the most surprising shorter than you? Do you have any where you're like this person Ooh. is not as advertised? Man, I don't know. Man. I wish I had a better answer off the top of my head, but I don't. Uh, most of it is like guys that are taller than, yeah. than I expect. Like LeBron James is, is taller than, I mean, he's, he's legitimately <laughs> very, very tall. They're all skinnier than you think too. That's the funniest part about it. LeBron looks like significantly skinnier than I am. Yeah. Uh, but he's just so ripped, you know. That's a, I, th- I think mine is uh, in Dominic Insu or Dominic Sue. I oh, yeah. I by him once and he was really, really short. And I know he could murder me with his hands, but I was actually taken aback. <laughs> like I'm like I am a full head taller than you are. Football Meh. football players, I think, yeah, they they're all are. NBA players are they're all tall. So it, I mean, even the short ones are still like six three. Chris Paul's really short. Chris, I'll say Chris Paul is, is shorter than you think. There you go. All right, Adam, thanks so much for uh, jumping on. Tell people where they can find your stuff on DenverStiffs.com, Locked On Nuggets, the best, second best podcast in the world behind Fast Break Breakfast. Uh, I'll have to check my notes, but that that uh, sounds right. <laughs> sounds right. All right. Thanks, Adam. Take care, buddy. All right. Thanks to Adam. I believe he's been the most frequent guest in the history of Fast Break Breakfast. Maybe, maybe four, five times. Anyway, I appreciate him coming on. Uh, now we have another guest coming on to discuss the big trades of the day. That's right. Rodney Purvis and Dakari Johnson were traded for each other three days ago. Now they've each been traded again to other teams. Uh, I'm sort of kidding. That you no, know, all those facts were true, but that's not why uh, I have my next guest on. Uh, Jeff Siegel from Early Bird Rights. Going to talk a little bit about some salary cap stuff real quick and about the Atlanta Hawks picking up Jeremy Lin and also getting rid of Dennis Schroeder. 
Before we get to him, just a reminder, if you are looking for tickets this summer for any ticketed event, a concert, a comedy show, a baseball game even, maybe even you're going to the tournament finals, maybe those tickets sell out, but you can get the best seats and find the best value by going to SeatGeek.com. They aggregate all the other ticket sites so you don't have to go to them. You can just go to SeatGeek. They have a color-coded system to tell you what the best values are are and great news our listeners right now if you use our code fast break break you will get twenty dollars off your very first purchase so download the seat geek app under the settings tab enter a promo code enter fast break break and receive twenty dollars off your first seat geek purchase today My guest today is a writer for The Step Back. He also covers the Hawks for the SB Nation site Peachtree Hoops, and he runs earlybirdrights.com, which provides up-to-the-minute salary cap information and analysis. Jeff Siegel. Jeff, how are you? Doing well. How are you? Ah, fantastic. Thanks for asking. Uh, We ask, as you know, all our guests about breakfast. Have you had anything good recently for breakfast? I have the same breakfast every morning. Uh, It's the exact same thing. It is blueberries and ice and this weird milk thing from Costco and Greek yogurt and spinach all wrapped up in a smoothie. And it's fantastic. Do you have like a ninja blender that does it for you? What's your cleaning process? Are you an immediate clean person right after you're done? Yeah, I clean it out immediately right after I'm done, mostly because sometimes we only have one of them and I live with my brother and sometimes he'll use it right after I use it. So sometimes we only have one that's clean and uh, so I always clean it out immediately and so does he so that we can uh, do that. So someone who eats the same breakfast every morning and then immediately cleans the blender afterwards uh, gives me a vague, um, don't want to say psychopath, but you know, do you have any other compulsions is what I want to know. If for breakfast? No, for anything. For anything? How much of your no, life? I'm, uh, I'm is... absolutely as robotic as possible. No, I mean, every, you know, I'm pretty much outside of breakfast. I eat pretty poorly. Uh, <laughs> I, I, it's pizza or California burritos okay. five days a week, That's you know, good. other than breakfast. Just breakfast is the only time of day that I know I can eat something super healthy. So I go ahead and get that out well, of the way. I'm I'm very messy, so I, I guess I'm just naturally always suspicious of people who are clean and or have any form of discipline. So I, I am not clean in my room and in my car just <laughs> with the breakfast stuff because somebody else is also going to use it. Got you. I keep public areas clean, things that other people use, but my room is a mess, my bathroom's a mess, my car is an absolute pigsty, so it's fine. Well, well, speaking of keeping things clean, it's always good to have a clean cap sheet. Oh, that's just a wonderful segue. I learned that in podcast school. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, so you're, uh, you're, you know, you're a self-professed cap expert. You know what you're talking about when it comes to the salary cap. Whenever I need salary cap numbers, I'm always heading over to uh, earlybirdrights.com. Uh, so looking at the summer, there's been a couple of uh, really funny trades most recently. Like today, there's been all these... Rodney Purvis keeps getting traded uh, to save teams dollars. Abdel Nader, apparently his uh, his deal is in demand to save people money. So, like, uh, we've had all these people trying to clean up their salary caps, a lot of people trying to dodge luxury tax 
taxes um, or stay under the luxury tax and like the Thunder specifically get out of it. Um, so salary cap space is a big asset for teams, like bad teams, they can use it to their advantage. You know, good teams, like when you're building your team, it's important to order your moves correctly because there's always, you know, these very confusing options, the exceptions, the biannual exceptions and things. So like getting your ducks all in a row, having a team that knows what it's doing, not being the Sacramento Kings is very important because uh, that's how you build good championship teams. So when you look at all the teams this summer and how they've handled having cap space, is there any team that you think has maybe done like, the best job or, or has done a very admirable job of, of handling everything they had to handle. I mean, certainly if you're going to just talk about any team that had cap space, you kind of have to start with the Lakers. Cause if you sign LeBron James with cap space, you pretty much win no matter what else you do. That is a good you know? use of cap space. Have that, that in is, my notes. I would, as a cap <laughs> expert, I would recommend signing LeBron James. If you have the option to do that. Yes. And that seems did. like a good plan. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I guess you know, in, in sort of you know, from a from a cap weirdo perspective, um, I, you know, I think what what Brooklyn and Atlanta have done with their space has been you know very interesting in terms of you know structuring you know certain trades to make it so that they use all of their cap space and take on as many you know draft assets as possible. Since both of those teams are in sort of asset accumulation mode, that seems to you know that it seems to make the most sense to me that what they've done. Certainly, Atlanta has had some weird trades you know obviously they got jeremy lynn and then got carmelo anthony and so those two trades are sort of opposite ends of the same spectrum in terms of lynn i didn't think the lynn trade was particularly good and i still don't think it was a you know a particularly shrewd move on their part i would have rather seen them take the the deal from denver but then of course not doing the deal from denver opened up the space to take on carmelo and that was you know maybe the best trade of the summer so far in terms of you know the the uh, bad team taking on salary and, ter- and and getting out of future salary and Dennis Schroeder and getting you know future first round picks, so I think you know certainly what Atlanta and uh, and Brooklyn have done have been you know has been great from a a cap weirdo perspective, but of course the Lakers win the offseason because they get LeBron. Well, so the Lakers have won their offseason, and I want to come back to a lot of that that Hawk stuff, especially you describing a trade as shrewd and not involving Dennis Schroeder. Um, I'm going to let that pass. But so circling, we'll come back to the Hawks, but looking at the Lakers as obviously having done the best of their cap space by getting LeBron James, then everything else they did was kind of weird. And I got some blowback on Twitter. I was pointing out that they signed, you know, the rest of the guys they signed for one-year deals. Even if you ignore Contavious Caldwell-Pope as being LeBron James tax or whatever, like Rondo for one year, $9 million, and then Lance uh, Stevenson and Michael Beasley, JaVale McGee, all signing one-year deals. It, couldn't, they have, couldn't they have worked out something where they actually brought in maybe a, like a a player who made more like were th- were they able to offer like a Tyreek Evans 12 million or even like a uh, Trevor Ariza like 12 million and still structure it and still get some other players like couldn't they have used their remaining space maybe a little more I don't know less crazy yeah I mean they absolutely could have it's just that they didn't want to uh you know they spent nine million on on Rondo and another four and a half on uh on Stevenson and then a couple of minimum deals on, on other guys. And, you know, they, they spread their money around to those guys in, you know, very specifically, you know, they chose, they chose Rondo over a guy like Ariza or, you know, Tyreek Evans because they wanted him and, and he was willing to go there. Certainly you would think that, 
you know, for the same money that Tyreek Evans would be interested in, in going to LA and playing with LeBron as would Ariza who, you know, had played for the Lakers in the past and, and won a championship there. So, you know, you would think that those guys would have been interested, but they, you know, they obviously chose to go in a different direction. It's very, you know, it's very interesting that the specific players they chose, the grand vision of we want as many playmakers as possible sort of makes sense. Like you're not going to be able to outshoot the Warriors. So maybe you sort of try to find a different way to do it rather than doing what they, you know, what they've done in, in Cleveland over the last few years, where it's just LeBron and a bunch of shooters. Obviously, LeBron came in and said, this didn't work for me. I didn't like this. Let's give me more ball handlers, more guys who can who can take the ball out of my hands and, and pass a little bit. And that's what they got in Rondo and, and a little bit in Lance. And, and obviously, uh, LeBron is still you know able to handle the ball a little bit. And uh, so I think it's 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 interesting that they decided to go. We want lots of playmakers rather than shooters. But at some point, all those passers have to pass to somebody yeah. who can shoot. You know, you have to have play finishers. So it's it's very it, – certainly it's not something I would have done. It's not something that would have – you know, sort of – it's something that flies in the face of a lot of what we've learned about the NBA over the last five years. But if it works, then maybe they found some sort of new market inefficiency where having five shooters or having five playmakers is almost better than having five shooters. That might work. We We don't know, and I don't think it will work, but it's possible that it will work. Yeah, as much as I had to eat crow about – Rajon Rondo playing so well in the playoffs last year and even the playoffs the year before in the, in the two games with the bulls before he got hurt. This is, it's not going to work. Like, I mean, I'm not saying LeBron James's team isn't going to be good, but you can't play Lance Stevenson and Rajon Rondo and ball and uh, you know, and what Michael Beasley on the, like, I actually kind of like the Michael Beasley one. Like that's okay. I feel like he's got some size and that's like, just for me, that's like shake and bake immediate NBA scoring punch. I like that. I'm, I'm fine with that, but it does seem like they could have gone like just bring back Brooke Lopez instead of Lance Stevenson, like almost the same money that he took in Milwaukee, uh, you know, or Wayne Ellington. They could have afforded him if they just want just a shooter, a shooter, you know, if they wanted but anyway, let's move to uh, let's move to the Hawks, who we talked about. Who you mentioned the Jeremy Lin deal when we recorded our our full episode last week. I was kind of criticizing the Hawks for not doing what I think these bad teams should do, like like Brooklyn did. I was like, they're not using their salary cap as this asset, like the Bulls. I feel like the Bulls should have instead. They they went all in, you know, with Jabari Parker and Zach Levine. I feel like the Kings the last two years have been incredibly wasteful with their cap space just filling it up and not taking on other, you know, assets. I keep telling, I don't know. I keep thinking if you're a bad team and you have cap room, just leave it open going into the season and just see what happens. Like people are always trying to move stuff like may give you an asset. But then after I criticized the Hawks, they went and pulled off this big deal getting Carmelo Anthony. Uh, so just talk a little or, or explain. I was trying to explain to someone who texted me. I'm not sure I did the best job. So explain why the Hawks choosing to pay Carmelo's entire contract, even though they immediately waive him, is worth it to acquire that pick from the Thunder. So like in general, the sort of rule of thumb is that a first round pick is worth roughly $15 million in dead money and dead money, meaning like a guy is like Carmelo Anthony, he's got 28 million in dead money because he's worth, you know, he's being paid $28 million and is not worth any of that to Atlanta because they're going to cut him. So 
that's so in general, that's where so that's where you would start. A first round is worth about 15 million. Anthony's deal is worth 28 million, but they also sent out Schroeder, who makes 15 and a half, but is worth about half of that. And so, you know, the the fact that they, you know, they're sort of netting about 20 million roughly in, in dead salary, if you want to look at it that way. So that's where they that's why they got a first round pick, is because they took on roughly 20 million dollars in in basically dead weight. And that's, you know, roughly on this market is worth, you know, a first round pick. Obviously every trade is sort of different. And the fact that, you know, the fact that the Thunder saved, you know, $70 million in this right. trade is not really, you know, it's hard to take that into consideration because of, you know, because of how inflated their, their luxury tax bill is. So it's, it's, it's all sort of, it's difficult to, to fully understand, but it's the, the, the first rounder being worth about $15 million is a good place to start. Yeah. That, that, that kind of clears it up. I also love that Carmelo Anthony is double dipping this year. Like he gets his full contract. He also gets a veteran minimum, which is, you know, what is it over $3 million uh, for someone with his years of service. So uh, Carmelo Anthony's coming out uh, swimmingly. Um, do you think that the thunder, when they acquired Dennis Schroeder, that they are secretly hoping that he ends up getting suspended several games for this pending assault charge? Because, Teams don't have to pay luxury tax when a guy's suspended. So him being suspended for five games would save the Thunder like $10 million. Do you think that that had any bearing on their trade? I would expect not. But, I mean, technically, I guess if the, if he does get suspended for you know part of the season, then they don't have to pay tax on that part of his his salary, which is good for them. But I would expect, and certainly if he were to be convicted of a felony, they could, they might have grounds to just void his contract altogether, which would certainly save them a lot of money. So oh, that's not, an angle. <laughs> I hadn't thought I'm of that not, angle. I don't, I don't think that that's going to happen. I wouldn't expect that he'll be convicted and I wouldn't expect that they'll be able to, uh, to, to void his contract altogether. And even if he were to be convicted, I don't think that the, the NBA would grant them the ability to do that. But technically it's on the table as a, as a, as a possibility that they could, that they could pursue <laughs> if he were to be fully convicted of the felony. Um, I was going to you know, say, I, sorry, I was going to say millionaires don't get convicted of felonies unless no. a billionaire wants them to be convicted. So it could be up there. <laughs> I you know, I don't it's, know. I mean, it's possible. It's certainly something that had the Hawks kept Schroeder, they might have tried to pursue through back channels with the with the the Georgia government. Certainly, being <laughs> in uh, in Oklahoma City, I'm not sure if Clay Bennett has any contacts in the Atlanta government and whether they can make that work. But it's possible that he, you know, might be able to back channel his way into into getting rid of of Schroeder's contract. I don't think they should even really want to do that. From what, everything that I've heard, the the Oklahoma City Thunder have had, you know, they, they the Thunder. Presti and their and their front office staff have a have a budget of about two hundred and twenty five million dollars to spend this this year. And once they get rid of Kyle Singler, either by stretching him or trading him, they'll get right around un, you know underneath that that two hundred twenty five million mark. So I think they're going to keep Schroeder. I think Schroeder's going to be good for them in a way that he certainly wasn't these last two years in Atlanta. He he just gave up on playing defense since he got the starting job in 2016, and you know never really developed an outside shot. Is not great at finishing at the basket. Is really an abysmal passer. So he never really took that step forward. But now he's going to be you know coming off the bench. All he needs to do is do one thing well, which is get to the basket and score, which is what he's always been able to do. 
you know, especially getting to the basket. He's, you know, one of the better guys in the league, one of the fastest guys in the league at, uh, in, in driving situations. So I think he'll, he'll thrive there. If he's going to pick his defensive effort back up, it's going to be in Oklahoma city where they're telling him you're playing 15 minutes a game, but we want, you know, we want you to go balls to the wall for 15 minutes. I think he can do that. That's what he did his first three years in Atlanta behind Jeff Teague. You know, and I think that's what he's going to do in Oklahoma City. So I think he'll be good for them in a way he would not have been good for the Hawks. And I think some people may see him take a step forward and go, oh, wow, he, you know, the Hawks may have lost that trade. He was never, he would never have been good in Atlanta. You know, he had already given up. He's not going to play defense, you know, on another year rebuilding year with Trey Young already in the fold, with Jeremy Lin now brought in. You know, he was not going to be a, a positive impact player for, for Atlanta like he may be for Oklahoma City. Yeah, he's going to take over that that Reggie Jackson, do a throwback to that Reggie Jackson Thunder role. Uh, thinking about, again, the Thunder's luxury tax, I, wh- why wouldn't they just set up Kyle Singler for something? I mean, if Kyle Singler gets arrested for a felony in the next few weeks. Uh, I think we got to the bottom of that uh, before it happened. Anyway, the true felony is he's stealing from the Thunder. I'm just letting that be known. Anyway... Uh, to, to wrap up, let's talk a little about the Hawks since you do, you do cover them for Peachtree Hoops. Um, Jeremy Lin's going to be brought in, I guess, you know, to kind of like, uh, be the, the mentor to, uh, to Trey Young. And then, uh, they also brought in Alex Lin. Like, do you think that was a, probably like a good use of their last bit of cap space just to see if they can find like a serviceable center? Yeah, I think it was fine. I mean, they were pretty much they were pretty much out of cap space. They used what's called the room exception to bring in Alex Len, but that doesn't really matter. Basically, they they signed yeah. they they got Len in for for a two year deal, and you know I think he'll be fine. I think he'll be serviceable for them as a backup center. You know he's he had a pretty decent year last year in Phoenix. Of course, Phoenix is sort of difficult to to sort of judge him because they don't really have the the pick and roll passers that he would need because he's you know not going to be a traditional back to the basket, big guy, like he needs, you know, he needs somebody to feed him the ball, you know, and, and pick and roll. So it's, you know, maybe he can, you know, he can improve a little bit offensively, defensively. I thought he was fine and he's going to, you know, he's going to be a good backup center off the bench. You know, he's not, I don't think he's going to compete with Deadman for a starting spot, but he'll, he'll be, a, he'll be a fine backup uh, off the bench, especially if a, a guy like Omari Spellman, who they just, t- t- uh, they just took number 30 in the draft. If he's not really ready to step into an everyday role, then Len can play that third big man off the bench behind Collins and Deadman. So, you know, I think it's fine. I think he can, you know, he can rebuild his value a little bit and, and go somewhere else in 2020 when he's, you know, when there's going to be more money out there, when he's, you know, probably in a better spot in his career. Do you think there's any thought that maybe Deadman would get traded this year? I thought he was like a prime candidate last year to get moved to the deadline. Seems like with an expiring deal this year, maybe uh, someone who is going to be winning games, which is not the Hawks, might want to take a, a, a shot of having him. Yeah, I mean, certainly I thought he was going to opt out of his deal and get more money than the $7.2 million that they'll pay him next year, uh, you know, especially because almost a million of that is wrapped up in bonuses. So he's going to have to play his way into the, the last million of that uh, of that $7.2 million. So it's, you know, I think so, I think somebody should take a chance on him in, in terms of, you know, bringing him in the, to 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 a situation and, and trying to even if you need if you needed a starting center he might not be you know quite at that level for for a playoff team but you know if he's 
if he's your if he's your backup center, you're in a really good spot. And so I think somebody's going to take a chance on him and 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 tr- try to uh, try to extract him from Atlanta. And then maybe that's where Alex Lund steps into the starting unit. You know, perhaps they they would go with John Collins as the starting center and bring somebody in at, at the power forward position, whether that's Spellman or playing Torian Prince up a position. So you know, we'll see. But uh, Certainly, Deadman, I would imagine, is on the table for for a good team who needs a center, like perhaps the Los Angeles Lakers, who are now starting JaVale McGee at center. So, you know, certainly he would fit very well with the Lakers, whether they can, you know, make a deal work in terms of sending the right salary back, you know, remains to be seen. But the Lakers could use him. Certainly, you know, maybe the the Houston Rockets would be a great spot for him. The Golden State Warriors, like any really good team who needs a backup center or the Lakers who need a starting center, he'd be a great fit there. You can. Is there any? Is there any Luol Deng contract uh, trade you can work out uh, with the Hawks? Probably not, just because they're already out of space. But I certainly, I guess, if you sent back Deadman and extra salary with him, then Dead, then Luol Deng could go back. But I would imagine that that Deng was going to remain on the Lakers for this year, and then they'll either stretch him or find a way to trade him next year. There's going to be a ton of space out there next year and not a lot of players to fit that space a little bit like 2016, but not as bad. So it's good. There are going to be a lot of teams with extra cap space after a bunch of the good players sign. And that's when, you know, guys like Dang can, uh, can be traded into that cap space. All right. Final question. Last year, I thought the Hawks would be sneaky, kind of okay. I thought they might like get up into like 32 wins and they were horrible. Uh, So this year, they're just going to be one of the few teams that we assume is going to be at the very bottom of the standings uh, all year along with the Sacramento Kings. Are there any other storylines? Is there anything else I'm missing with the Hawks or is this just going to be a a rebuild slash tank it down uh, Atlanta year? Yeah, I mean, this is going to be a, another tank year. They're certainly not looking to be good. The you know some of the, the the moves that they've made, obviously, they used a bunch of their cap space on like Carmelo Anthony. They sent out Dennis Schroeder. Jeremy Lin is probably going to be the starting point guard, which is fine. But you know they're not going to they're not they're going to be one of the three or four worst teams in the league on defense. Even with Lloyd Pierce, who's you know sort of a renowned defensive expert coming in from Philadelphia, they're going to be bad on defense. They're you know they're going to play the young kids. They're going to play a lot of Trey Young and Kevin Herter and Omari Spellman and John Collins, even who is who is still you know on the rise as a, as a good player, but in general is probably you know not a, a positive impact player at this point in his career. You know I think it's they're they're certainly going to to tank you know throughout the whole year. And they're trying, you know, trying to accumulate assets. They're in, they're in the early part of the rebuild, and you know, they're. I think they're in a good spot. They're, you know, they've got a, a good pick. They've got a bunch of good picks coming in from uh, from Cleveland and and Dallas over the years, and then of course Oklahoma City and Brooklyn down the line. They've got some stuff coming in in terms of draft assets. So I think, you know, they're in a good spot. If you're if you're looking to actually watch them this year. Then some of the interesting guys will be probably Collins, who's going to dunk over everybody. Trey Young, who's going to be taking threes out to half court. You know, Kevin Herter, who we didn't see at summer league, he's a really good shooter. So you're going to see a lot of high high octane offense with the Hawks this year. And so if you're interested in that, if you're interested in games that go you know 130 to 110, I think the Hawks are going to be in a lot of those kind of games. That sounds good. All right, Jeff, thanks for jumping on. Uh, tell people more about uh, your website and, and the other stuff you got going on. Uh, well, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at JG Siegel. That's the best way to keep up with everything I've got going on. Uh, earlybirdrights.com has up to the minute salary cap information. If you're interested in all this kind of stuff that we've been talking about, about cap space and the exceptions and all that stuff, then I've got uh, I've got everything up to the minute uh, salary cap stuff for all 30 teams, future draft pick information. 
Uh, I do, you know, certain articles based on on things that happen that are interesting throughout the league. From a cap perspective, during the year, I'll have you know video breakdowns on the site as well. You know, once once games get started back up in in October, uh, I work for Peachtree Hoops where we cover the Hawks, uh, Fear the Sword where we cover the Cavaliers, and Blazers Edge where we cover the Portland Trail Blazers. Those are all three SB Nation sites, and then I've got a couple of new sites that I'm starting with in August. Uh, I'll be doing a couple of, of posts a month for Dime Magazine, and uh, I'll be actually doing the business of basketball for Forbes uh, as as soon as I get started here in in, a, in about a week. That sounds awesome. You are a man everywhere, getting busy. Yeah, so uh, follow me on Twitter. That's the best place to find all this stuff if you're interested in all this kind of of cap stuff and and you know the the teams I mentioned and just everything I'm writing. Everything gets posted to Twitter. That's the best way to to keep up with it. Sounds great, Jeff. Uh, look forward to talking to you soon. All right. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks to Jeff. Definitely check out his site again, earlybirdrights.com. It's got all the salary cap information, and he started it himself. He supported our show, Fast Break Breakfast, so all you listeners go and support him and get your information from earlybirdrights.com. Uh, again, follow him on Twitter, JG Siegel. You can also follow, remember, Adam Mares, Adam underscore Mares for all your Nuggets information. If you want to support our show, the best way to do that is patreon.com slash fastbreakbreakfast. If you're buying a ticket this summer, use the code fastbreakbreak. You can follow us on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. All right, you guys are the best. Thanks for listening. And remember, breakfast is the most important thing. Yeah, never apologize for being TNG. Fab break, break, man. You understand? Buying tickets online for sports and concerts has never been easier thanks to SeatGeek. They've created an amazing app and website that makes ticket buying easier than it has ever been. They pull all the tickets available on other sites into one place so you never miss a deal. And more importantly, you aren't wasting time. You can even set alerts for upcoming events and they'll let you know if ticket prices fall. Even better, every ticket on SeatGeek is ranked based on value so you can immediately find underpriced seats. And before you buy, you can use SeatGeek's detailed maps to see the view from your seat. I've got the SeatGeek app on my phone, and I use it all the time. SeatGeek is always honest and upfront about the price. You get to see the full ticket price from start to finish, and they never surprise you with big fees at the checkout page. Now, here's the best part about SeatGeek for all of you out there listening to the Fast Break Breakfast. My listeners who make their first SeatGeek purchase get a $20 rebate. And to get it, all you have to do is download the free SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab and click add a promo code, then enter promo code Fast Break Break. SeatGeek will then send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. It does not get any easier than that. So download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code Fast Break Break today. 